Hi, I'm Eva Hartling. Welcome to The Brand is Female. Today, my guests are Elizabeth Vasquez, CEO and co-founder of WeConnect International, and Marie Maldoni, Managing Director at the Canadian Securities Institute and Moody's Analytics. Before we get to our conversation, I want to thank our sponsor. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Bank Group, Women Entrepreneurs. TD helps women entrepreneurs achieve success and growth through its program of educational workshops, financing, and mentorship. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help. Through the Council on Scaling Women-Owned Businesses, we connect along with their partners, Moody's and TD, have worked on a report that was just released this week called How to Rebuild Global Business for Good. In light of the devastating impact COVID has had on a global economy and on our local communities, this report addresses why it's critical to be connecting access to markets with access to capital for women-owned businesses. Elizabeth and Marie spoke to me about the obstacles faced by women entrepreneurs across the world that are preventing them from achieving their full potential. In this report, We Connect has also shared concrete solutions that can put us on the path to more inclusive business strategies in order to create lasting change. This interview addresses some of these solutions. Here is our conversation. Elizabeth and Marie, it's a pleasure to have you on the Brand is Female podcast today. Thank you so much for speaking with me. So you both hold uh, very impressive positions with um, organizations who are doing a fantastic, interesting project in support of women entrepreneurs. But before we get into all of that, I want to ask you uh, first about your journey up to this point in your professional lives. How did you make it to the role that you're currently holding? Maybe we'll go with Elizabeth first. So I don't really have a good answer. It wasn't planned. This wasn't something I dreamed about as a child. Um, I really was passionate about the role of women in economic development and Mm -hmm. the role of women in power and why women seem to have so little power. And so when Mm -hmm. I was introduced to women as business owners, it got me really excited uh, because uh, they were creating jobs, they were innovating, they were helping the economy. And I knew that that was the group that I wanted to work with and to learn from and to promote. And so uh, when the opportunity presented itself uh, to work with the role of women in supply chains because if you are interested in power you want to follow the money when you follow the money Mm -hmm. um, you have to look at how large organizations spend that money and uh, why is it women are invisible in these global value chains and so being given the opportunity by many of the world's largest corporations to work with them to incorporate a nonprofit focused on helping women-owned businesses access these value chains uh, and win contracts uh, was, you know, very, very exciting. And so that was 10 years ago, and I learn new things every single day. I make lots of mistakes. I try to learn from (laughs) them very quickly, um, provide a lot of transparency, and to not do it alone. I've definitely learned that you have to have strong partners um, like Moody's and and other organizations we work with to um, make sure that everyone has an equal opportunity, men and women, uh, to contribute to uh, inclusive economic growth. And Marie, tell us about your journey. Well, I was supposed to be a high school teacher, um, but through 
<laughs> through education and through my education, I started my own business. I kind of fell into it. And um, I guess I learned a lot from owning a business. It wasn't a big business and it wasn't anywhere near some of the ambitious projects that the women listening to your podcast are doing. But it was an experience to sort of go out there and sell myself and that kind of thing. So it was a good starting base. And then I sort of got into the corporate world and through a whole series of circumstances, I was acquired three times. Um, and so in every acquisition, the, the game is always to survive, right, and stay. Um, and I was always ready to go. I was, I was always, I was always, in fact, I, everyone, every time I was acquired, I expected that somebody in the company already knew what I knew and that they would just let me go. Um, and so I was, I guess I was generous with, with my information and everybody said she seems to know what she's doing and they, they kept me on. So um, I think that's been an experience for me having different being acquired by different companies, seeing how different companies approach an acquisition has also been a great uh, learning. And then just being given opportunities to lead and taking them has been for me, you know, sort of the, the way to go. And very early on, I learned that, you know, in, in leadership, if you, if you really want to get on, you raise the people who are around you. So if you make everybody look good around you, they all want to work with you and they all want to give you projects because you're going to make them look good. <laughs> And so it's, it's a way to um, kind of spread the wealth, but, but also just to, to get on and, and be given opportunity. And how is it as a woman working, I and mean, you work, you work you know, for Moody's, who is a, a financial, in, in, in a financial services category, um, which is uh, male dominated, as we know, how has that experience been for you as a, as a woman kind of climbing the ladders through the world of finance? Um, very, I'm very fortunate. Um, I've landed on companies, and Moody's is certainly one of them, that really prizes the opinions of the people in the organization. So I've been given plenty of opportunity to lead things, to give my opinion, to disagree, um, and to be able to disagree openly without being told to, you know, stay in my corner and, and do my do my work, keep my head down. That's great. And we can tell that internal culture is also what's fueling all these initiatives to help women entrepreneurs. So um, as we as we get into that part of our discussion um, and, and a question for Marie again, uh, from what you've seen, from what you're seeing in the market with the the entrepreneurs, uh, that you work with and and just watching the world in general, what, how I should say, have uh, women-led companies been impacted by COVID and the lockdown that we've been under for now over two months? Yeah, I think. Um, listen, the pandemic has been uh, revolutionary. It's caused unprecedented mm -hmm. disruption to health and economic security of people around the world. I must say that I have never said the word unprecedented so often. Um, <laughs> I've never heard it so often. So, <laughs> so true. So it's it's kind of upended everything. Everything we sort of know. Everything we're comfortable with. It's it's triggered very urgent challenges. So. There's lots of challenges for small businesses and for women in small businesses as we come and uh, encounter problems like supply chains, as we, we, we face store closures and business closures and changing customer behavior. Those are all factors that make it, it really challenging. And we just don't know what the future is. Um, so certainly there's an urgent need for us to to really look at women-owned businesses and give them equal access to markets and capital. I think otherwise we're missing an opportunity to be able to 
grow the economy because growth is what we're going to need. And we need to emerge from this pandemic with new approaches to leveraging the power of women in the economy. And Elizabeth, from your point of view at We Connect International and, and obviously looking at everything from a global standpoint, what are you seeing from your network? I completely agree with everything uh, Marie just said. Uh, we actually surveyed the women business owners in our network based in 120 countries and asked them you know, very specific questions about how COVID-19 is, is impacting them, their employees, um, and of course, you know, in to the degree it's impacting their personal life with care responsibilities. And it was, unfortunately, the vast majority of them are negatively impacted. Um, 82% of the mm -hmm. respondents in Canada said that, um, that it's been a negative experience and they have increased anxiety about the situation um, that mm -hmm. uh, impacts the productivity uh, of their employees and um, potential customer loss because the business to business um, doing that in person has has obviously um, been moved to virtual. And so um, it ha there have been some significant challenges. Having said that, uh, there are also some really positive things that are coming out of it that the women um, around the world, um, including the women business owners in Canada, said 66% said they had increased um, some contract opportunity, uh, that they had um, some new opportunities. They had uh, 45 5% mm -hmm. reported um, cutting unnecessary expenses, 39% are uh, growing in an area that um, responds to local needs, so maybe developing a new product or service. Um, so they're definitely innovating. They're very flexible, very mm -hmm. nimble, um, and are you know really trying to anticipate the needs of their, their community, whatever that might be. So it's in some ways um, mm -hmm. you know, very disappointing, in other ways very encouraging. Elizabeth, I want to bring up the Council on Scaling Women-Owned Business. Absolutely. So um, the council has worked over the last year to share and document best practices, um, look at the benefits that are available to women when they have access to both capital and to markets. Um, there are several examples that are provided by uh, corporations um, such as Moody, but also development institutions like the World Bank Group and the International Finance Corporation. Uh, they've done a lot on access to markets, um, providing loan guarantees to banks to ensure that there is more lending, especially in developing countries, to women-owned businesses. Uh, and increasingly, they are looking at ways to collaborate with organizations like We Connect International to help ensure that the women have access to markets. Um, and so that is educating the banks about their leveraging their purchasing power as a in addition to their lending power, and then looking at the entire ecosystem in a country of who's spending what and who's lending what, and how do we all do a better job of working together to make sure on the demand side, there's a lot of education, training, capacity um, to engage with women and businesses, and on the supply side, to make sure women are ready to compete, um, whether it's for contracts or whether um, they're looking for an investment or a loan, uh, making sure that they show up 
up at the bank ready um, and prepared uh, with good financials and good arguments for why they um, are a great investment or um, can offer a solution to a problem. Um, but it's not just a developing country issue. We see this in Canada and you have banks like TD Bank collaborating with many different organizations across Canada, whether it's a futurepreneur or the big push or with WeConnect and others. Um, they're, they're really looking to make sure that their women clients who own businesses know about all the resources that are out there so that they can be as successful as possible. And having uh, everyone come together, 20 council members to share all of this knowledge um, and the gaps of what it needs to be done to, to close this gap. So if we're going to have the UN, um, the UN Sustainable Development Goals achieved, SDG 5 on gender equality in the next 10 years, we have to start right now thinking about how we spend our money and how we lend and putting all that together. So Marie, from your point of view, how can organizations uh, led by women navigate these changes, both in terms of the obstacles and challenges, but making making sure they can tap into those opportunities as well? Mm -hmm. Well, I think organizations have to pivot too. They have to start asking questions as to how they can build a more holistic and integrated approach to supporting women. Um, and mm -hmm. they have to look at business at women as customers, as employees, as suppliers, as shareholders, and, and in the community. They're, the business is serving a community. Women are an important part of that community. So overall, we need, I think, a more innovative, inclusive, and sustainable approach to uh, defining and measuring women's success and also to think about how are we actually going to do this consciously rather than continuing to have women businesses as kind of an undertapped resource that are excluded from the growth uh, equation, I think as the report mm -hmm. shows. So we really must change the way we encourage and support the growth of women-owned businesses and actually look for them and find them and not just passively mm -hmm. wait for them to turn up. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And I, I like that you bring up the importance of defining and measuring their success, right? Which is something we'll come back to. Um, so Elizabeth, from, from your point of view, how can that shift take place? I think a lot of it has to do with consciousness. <laughs> so what do we value? How do we spend our money? And does any of that go to communities we care about? I mean, I'm really proud to be working with leaders in the space of economic development and financial inclusion um, and um, access to markets for women and other underutilized suppliers. Um, they're really showing us how you can link the need for access to markets with access to finance or capital um, in a more powerful, more holistic way because uh, it's not going to be easy for women-owned businesses to, um, like all small businesses, to recover. Um, we really have to think much more holistically. Um, we have to be much more collaborative, uh, and we have to be more inclusive in the way that we invest um, and spend our money. And so I think this new report that we've been hinting at, because it's not out yet, um, it's going to be out next mm -hmm. week, but um, right. we have some you know really great leaders in this space like TD Bank in Canada and Westpac 
Bank in Australia, in City, uh, and JP Morgan in the U.S., and many, many others that are deeply committed to leveraging their own purchasing power um, with uh, diverse suppliers and women-owned in particular, and um, with what they're able to do on the access to capital side, um, which is so important for growth. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm really optimistic <laughs> of uh, of the of mm. the potential, knowing how hard all of this is. I'm optimistic that we have the tools, we mm-hmm. have the yeah. leadership to do it. And, you know, speaking about being optimistic and you also brought up the fact that we still know these obstacles exist and there are several programs that are were built to help women uh, at, at a, and, and they exist at a global level. So, Marie, um, from your end, how do you see that we could be doing better and what else needs to happen to really be uh, overcoming these obstacles? Well, I think we have to look at programs uh, from two points of view that are often dealt with separately. So very often when we do programs, we sort of either talk to women about how to gain more market or we talk to them Mm -hmm. about how to gain more capital. And so we'll talk about in the capital side, we'll talk about access to credit and provide opportunities to, to talk to your banker and make your banker say yes and that kind of thing. Or we'll talk about how to grow market and we'll talk about supplier chains and that kind of thing. But we most often don't bring the two together. And what happens for women mm. is that they, when they go to get financing, somebody's going to ask them what kind of a market they have. And if they haven't got the market, they're not going to get the financing. If they see a bank, an opportunity, and they've got a market out there, well, they're going to need the financing. If they don't have the financing, they can't go after the market. And so they're kind of in a catch-22 all the time where either they've got a market or they've got some financing, but you need, you need both to make it work. And, and financing is kind of the right. key. If you don't have the market, you don't even get the financing. And so you're always in a, yeah. in a loop going down, not able to do that next step level uh, to, another, right. to another degree. Elizabeth, um, so, and from your point of view at, at We Connect, and I, I know that's very much uh, the mandate for, for the organization that you lead, but why is it important to focus on women-owned businesses and what's the incentive on, on focusing on them? So for me personally, um, in, in looking at the data, women tend not to own the world's assets and that's a huge problem. Mm-hmm. Um, if yeah. if the women are t- the primary caretakers, they're the ones educating the children. They're making decisions about how to invest the family resources, who gets to eat what, what kind of fuel they use, um, depending on the you know the the market. And so if if these women are not well educated and they have no money of their own, um, they're not going to be the ideal role models for both the boys and the girls that they're raising. And so it's really important that women have assets and they can make decisions about how to leverage those assets. And one of the Mm -hmm. best ways to help women build assets very quickly is through entrepreneurship. It's not the only way, but um, being a salaried employee uh, doesn't 
necessarily mean you're building wealth. You're, you know, able to pay your bills and hopefully some savings, but it's more precarious. Whereas if you own your own business, you actually build the assets of the the business and control those assets. So at WeConnect, mm-hmm. we want to see that women are at least 51% owners, managers, and in control of the resources so that we know that money is getting into women's hands. And, and part of that is because right. of the multiplier impact of when women have more money, how they spend it on their families and communities helps everyone. Marie, you talked about the two main obstacles, right? Uh, access to market, access to capital. But what are the barriers? What explains that we are facing these two obstacles or that, that women business owners are facing those obstacles in general? Yeah, well, clearly, clearly women have the obstacle of getting the financing. That's sort of the first step. But I think beyond that, women tend to be more cautious when applying for a loan. They, they tend to be less confident about taking a large loan. So they will take a loan that they think they can repay and that they think the banker will, will approve. And so mm-hmm. they end up um, in, in markets that are, are smaller. They end up in sm- smaller ventures. And they end up having to rely on personal savings or their credit card or friends and family for funding. So it's a very difficult, it's a very difficult way to grow or scale a business if you're always limited by your own, your own confidence in what you can do. And then I think right. yeah. um, across the board, uh, women have less access to markets compared to men. If you look at the statistics, mm-hmm. we as women only have one percent of the global spend on products and services by large organizations. So that's a mm. very, very infinitesimal amount of money, of, of the, the share in, in the wallet here uh, for women. And women, therefore, will tend to, to focus on sectors that are less profitable. They will focus on, ses- on sectors where the cost to entry is is lower because that's all they can afford. And so mm-hmm. they end up not having uh, access to these larger markets and really can't have an open door to a whole other realm of business because they're, they're always at that, at that 1%. And finally, I think the reality is, is that in certain societies and in certain um, legal situations, women in certain countries just are not given that opportunity. They are they're right. not they're not recognized to have the same opportunity that men have this season of the brand is female is made possible with the support of td bank group women entrepreneurs confidently building your business takes sound advice plus guidance to the right connections tools and resources as a woman entrepreneur myself i know i need all the support i can get what's great about td services for women in business is their collaboration-based approach they work with both internal and external partners that can provide education financing mentoring and community support td employees are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance they give to women in business they can facilitate and connect you to workshops coaching and mentorship and they engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way so we can share experiences and learn from each other Elizabeth, taking these barriers that Marie has just walked us through, how do these translate in reality? What does that mean concretely for women in business? Well, it means that they they often have to work 
twice as hard. <laughs> so it's right. it's not just right, We're not just as em- <laughs> not just as employees, but um, you know, as business owners. I mean, we all have to continue yeah. working from home right now during the the COVID pandemic, and um, that means you know a lot of the care responsibilities fall on women. Yes, a lot of mm-hmm. men are helping, and that's fantastic. Um, but uh, you know, that's in the survey results that we've we've received from the women business owners around the world. Um, the care responsibilities because of the health issues as well as the child care elder care um, it you know it's it's a major major challenge to try to um, address all of these urgent important top priorities in the lives of women um, while also bringing in um, revenue and if you're a business owner you're also responsible for your employees and their livelihood and so many people Mm -hmm. are so rightly worried about their employment status and these women are you know, deeply committed to creating jobs. They tend to, um, in India, um, create more jobs than male-owned businesses. Um, and mm. so, uh, same when you compare the same company in the same sector of the same size. So um, they're very focused on human resources and developing those human resources. Not that men aren't. It's just that women tend to have, you know, a real deep focus on uh, the metrics we call ESG: the environment, do no harm. Society, you know, they all tend to have nonprofits and other ways to give back um, and transparency and good governance and, you know, not participating in, in things that are they consider to be corrupt. And so I'm generalizing. Um, but these are all the, the the aspects of um, uh, running a business that women are constantly ba- trying to balance um, and trying mm-hmm. to support. And so uh, it's it's quite a lot <laughs> and it can be overwhelming at times, yeah. um, but we all need to make sure that they're successful because it will help to ensure everyone's success. And Marie, from, from your standpoint, what is being done uh, to address these challenges, these obstacles to, to resolve this issue that women entrepreneurs continue to be facing even today in 2020? Mm. Well, everything that Elizabeth said is true around where women are at right now with mm-hmm. the pandemic and, and children at home and, and not going to school. Um, we're at square one in terms of allowing yeah. women to go out there and, and run their business. But once they can, once we, we get back, and we're, we're all hoping that that is very soon, um, and we have all the things we need to be able to get back to normal life, whatever that new normal looks like. I think there, there's a, a number of things that, that um, is being done. Uh, certainly the U.S. International Development Finance Corporation has developed a, a set of criteria that consider the unique role that women play and then how to value that in terms of their investments. Mm-hmm. And in certain areas, such as the Women's World Banking and the Kenya's um, Commercial Bank, so Kenya Commercial Bank actually instituted some gender sensitivity training to their staff. And as a result, in those branches where they gave this training, they found that the percentage of loans given to women increased from 20 to 50 percent. So there's definitely a bias that has Mm. to be played in and considered. You can't just you can't just hope that, you know, all of a sudden things are going to change. Yeah. And, and I think there and this are, is true at the international level, right? What's true in Kenya that's right. also applies to other countries. Absolutely. Absolutely. Then there are uh, companies like Citigroup that are actually looking at uh, the resources that um, that women are, are given and how they engage women in their own, um, own supply chain. And so, 
they have to actually make people aware of of the supply chain uh, resources that that are out there and how can women get uh, get into that um, right. and be conscious of it versus unconscious and so um, there are a number of organizations that are actually looking at their supply chain and saying well how do we get women in versus waiting for women to come in how do we how do we encourage women and and minorities uh, women minorities who are also just not in the supply chain unless somebody actually goes out and look for, looks for them. So mm -hmm. it has to be, and I think Elizabeth you know, echoed this earlier, it has to be kind of a conscious raising. Um, otherwise, you know, we only, we only give women a very small part of that pie. And mm -hmm. it's right now a kind of dismal part of the pie. So we need to do a better job. For, for, for Moody's as an organization, for example, and for other organizations and corporations, why is it important to support efforts to help women uh, grow, be successful, scale their business? We've talked about why it matters in, in society overall, but uh, why are these organizations involved specifically? Well, I think the research shows that, that women, when they are involved in, in business, make a contribution to the community. They make a contribution mm -hmm. to their children, to their families, and so they're part of the sort of economic equation that we have to start including more systematically. And I think Moody's believes that um, there is a place for, for women and we want to be able to improve the lot of women. And we mostly do this by looking at, at insight. I mean, we're an insight company, so how do we provide our insights to women? Mm. So we've done a number of, you know, um, uh, initiatives around uh, providing financial empowerment to individual women to be able to to, to give them the, the tools they need to be able to connect into capital and connect into markets. And I can say that in 2019, um, on our Reshape Tomorrow program, which is the program we started in 2018, in 2019, 79% of our Reshape Tomorrow beneficiaries were women. So we know that there's there's movement to be had, and part of the reason that we've we've connected with We Connect is that we can see that they are connecting with women around the world, and we think we can help. And this is why we were part of the uh, committee, the Council on Scaling Women-Owned Businesses. It's a it's a natural extension of the work we can do to help that and to fund um, papers like the the uh, report that has been done by We Connect. Right. Right. So, Elizabeth, uh, building on this, how can other organizations engage in this work and, and to, to help reach the, the objectives that have been set? The exciting news is that the report is available this week and they can anyone can download it. Uh, it's free. It's at WeConnectInternational.org. It's a collaborative effort, um, as um, Marie said, uh, amongst 20 leading financial institutions and a few other organizations that are working on specifically access to markets, all coming together uh, to share what they've learned. And beyond the report, on the website, there are also um, many, many different case studies. And I think 
every member of the council will happily share what they've learned and how they're supporting women as business owners to reach their full potential, to be more competitive, um, to be more sustainable. And I definitely encourage anyone who wants to get involved, whether you're you're a woman-owned business, you're a policymaker, you're part of a bank, uh, or you're part of any other institution or corporation, there is a role for everyone to uh, think about how they're investing in society, uh, how they spend their money, and um, not have to figure all of this out from scratch because everyone in the council has very generously shared their best practices. And then we have partners like you that help to tell the story. And so, um, you know, it's it's a really exciting partnership that uh, hopefully is the beginning of um, a campaign for, for action. Mm, fantastic. And um, I want to ask you about We Connect overall, because I, I realized that uh, we didn't go into detail about what your mandate is and how you help women entrepreneurs uh, the, the rest of the time with multiple initiatives. Uh, so do you want to tell us a few words about uh, your, your organization's work, basically? We Connect International is a global nonprofit. It's headquartered in the United States, but all of our work is actually outside of the United States. And it's interesting because it was mm-hmm. created by many of the world's largest corporations that had been buying from women-owned businesses and being more inclusive in the U.S. and got together um, with our U.S. partner, WeBank, to say, why Why would, if it's good business to buy from women here in the U.S., why would we stop at a national border? We should be buying from the best suppliers um, and have diversity in our value chain so that we increase our options everywhere in the world. And as a result, we now uh, allow women-owned businesses to self-register for free in 120 countries, and we can actually certify that they are women-owned businesses in uh, 46 countries. And so uh, there's a lot of education, training, capacity development, a lot of great partnerships, and lots of ways to get involved. Moving away from uh, our our more um, serious content for for today, I want to ask each of you um, on a more personal note about a book that's influenced you or deeply marked you, maybe something that you find yourself going back to again and again. Uh, Maybe Marie first? Yeah, I don't have one book. Um, I think I can say I always go back to a piece of advice I got um, from a speech that was made at our my bachelor graduation. And most people don't remember mm. what the bachelor graduate person actually said. Um, but this gentleman was quite successful. And he said to us something like, people often ask me how I make the right decision. And his answer was simple. He said, it is not about making the right decision. It is more about making the decision right. So from then on, I never worried about what decision I made. I just made sure whatever I chose, we were going to make it successful. <laughs> it was going to be the best decision ever. So it takes the it took the angst off of which way to go, what to choose, what career, what job, and just make make good on on whatever decision I made. Right, right. I love that. Elizabeth, was there a book or maybe you also want to share a piece of advice that's been extremely useful to you? Definitely. When <laughs> when I was uh, in grade school, I was asked to do a book report and I chose to do it on uh, Mahatma Gandhi's um, story of my experiments with truth, 
which was his autobiography. Wow. And it had a... That, that's impressive <laughs> for that age. <laughs> I think that was that was my mom. So, right, there's a book that she had laying around. And so um, I, that forever... Um, impacted how I think about life, right? You 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 take chances, you try new things, you have experiments, but always you have to go back to your inner truth and and you have to want to make a difference in the world. You can't wait around for others to do that. And so um and you also don't want to go it alone, right? You want to make sure that in in the case of um uh the world as it is today, we still have huge disparities um, based on the gender of um, of a person when they're born. And that, to me, doesn't make any sense. I, I think everyone, all genders, should have an equal opportunity to contribute to and benefit from all the world has to offer and to, to truly, you know, reach their full potential. And so um, for me, that that has always um, is it daily in the in the back of my mind. Um, and then another question I have is, and, and this will be, I always love asking this question to women who work in the, in, in the financial sector or, or related uh, sector, but what's your definition of success? And if I had asked you the same question maybe five, ten years ago, would the answer have been different? So Marie, let's go with you first. When you're all, when you're young, you always think that success is having the right guy at the, or, or a partner, uh, having the, the right, you know, the riches yeah. and the da, da, da. But I think what I've realized over time is that um, kind of the, the best, the, the best success I, I can have is if people around me thought they did it themselves. And it's a philosophy that comes from, uh, it's a Chinese philosophy that says, if you're a leader, erase yourself and make sure that people around you are able to lead. And so I think if, if we can raise everybody else around us, then we're successful. I think it's just a, a commitment to lifelong learning and then doing something about it, right? It's not enough to know things. You actually have to, you have to take action. Democracy is in the streets. If, if you believe in something and you're passionate about it, uh, you just have to act on it. Um, with commitment and um, know that it's okay to, to not always be successful in your in your um, pursuit of um, being successful in trying. <laughs> so that that for me is um, is the the driver is you know did you try? And my favorite question to ask guests on the podcast, which is, what do you think women should do more of, Mary? I think, you know, we we ha sometimes have um, real opportunities and big opportunities to do things. And sometimes we just don't. And I think if women can find ways to inspire and lead, whether they get to do it in a small way or a big way, whether they get to do it with their families or whether it's in the community or whether they can do it with a company or a country or the world, that they, they actually step up and do that, just inspire and lead at every level and then you just grow into a leadership that's that's much larger than yourself <laughs> for me it's it's really simple i i want women to recognize how very powerful we are already and to wield that power i want us to spend our money with the people and on the things that we care about so if we are 
now controlling or influencing almost 20 trillion US um, or Canadian dollars, depending on how you want to how you want to value it. Uh, it's still a lot of money. If we spent 10% of it on other women, that would be $2 trillion into the hands of women every year that we as women as half the population have the ability to do tomorrow if we wanted to. So step into that power and and be comfortable with it and use it. Um, I want to thank you both so much for speaking with me today. I'm very excited uh, for this report that's coming out and for women everywhere to uh, read it and continue working on opening more doors and generating more opportunities and potential for women entrepreneurs everywhere. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, if you did, don't forget to subscribe, rate and review. Thank you to TD Bank Group, Women Entrepreneurs, for their support of The Brand is Female. You've got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and click on the TD logo. Thank you for listening.